The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your Top 5 at 5. Breaking news this morning, the White House announcing new measures to ease supply chain bottlenecks in the United States and around the world just in time for the holiday shopping rush. Now, speaking of a supply crunch... New reports, Apple is lowering its production targets for its new iPhone 13. Those details ahead. Then, it's Southwest and American Airlines taking on Texas Governor Greg Abbott when it comes to mandatory employee vaccinations. A legal fight brewing for sure. Plus, a rough day for ARK Invest Kathy Wood as she bets big on a stock that's sinking in the pre-market this morning. And then later on, a space flight more than 50 years in the making as William Shatner prepares to boldly go, you know the rest. It's Wednesday, October 13th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu, and for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off this Wednesday morning with some breaking news. Silvana Hinao is here. Silvana, good morning. Dom, good morning. So the White House announcing today the Port of Los Angeles will move to 24-hour service seven days a week in an effort to address supply chain backlogs. On a briefing call with reporters, the White, White House officials saying the administration has also received CEO-level business commitments from Walmart, FedEx, and UPS to move towards that 24-7 service with others including Target, Samsung, Home Depot to follow. In supporting the move to round-the-clock operations, the International Longshoremen and Workers Union says it will be able to staff the new shifts in coordination with terminal operators. Dom, today the president will meet virtually with key stakeholders to discuss this deal, including the director of the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, Teamsters President James Hoffa Jr., Walmart U.S. President and CEO John Ferner, Target CEO Brian Cornell, and National Retail Federation President Matt Shea. So, Don, we'll see, we'll see um, if we see any relief soon. Uh, so, so, Silvana, what exactly is the White House saying about getting goods out of those ports and onto trucks and trains for their final destinations? Well, Dom, so according to senior administration officials, major commitments from these sectors need to be next. And they are, the, they are looking to trucking and freight to expand hours and offer off-peak incentives to help ease those bottlenecks. All right. Sylvana Hanau with the latest there. Thank you very much for that update. Sticking with D.C., the White House announcing another meeting for today and tomorrow. But this one focused on another threat to U.S. growth. That is cyber attacks. Eamon Javers joins us now with the latest there. Good morning, Eamon. Good morning, Don. This cyber attack meeting is going to be held at the White House today and tomorrow. It's going to begin in just about two hours time. The White House says 
30 countries are going to be invited to this virtual meeting uh, that's going to be hosted by the White House today uh, and tomorrow. There you see all of the countries that are going to be involved. And then take a look at the upper right-hand corner of your map. Who's not invited? The country of Russia will not be participating uh, in today's 30-country uh, summit, 30-country uh, meeting, I should say. Uh, Russia, the White House says, was not invited to participate uh, in this round. They're going to be talking about a lot of topics, including in improving cybersecurity resilience. They're also going to be talking about cryptocurrency, what to do there uh, in terms of how to uh, intercept cryptocurrency payments. A senior administration official on a call with reporters yesterday said that the administration is developing innovative new capabilities to stop those cryptocurrency payments. So we might hope to learn a little bit more about that uh, over the coming days. And then, of course, the big piece uh, is diplomacy, how all these countries can work together against this ransomware uh, scourge that's really taken on a new uh, d dynamic over the past year or so. This has been incredibly damaging, and the White House wants to do what it can to stamp it out, Tom. So, so, so Eamon, I mean, you mentioned the lack of Russia, does this meeting really have any kind of substance there if you cannot address the issues around Russia and some of the role that it may have had in some of these major cyber attacks over the last few years? Well, look, the, the truth is that the United States believes that a lot of the ransomware that's happening around the world is coming directly from Russia or former Soviet states, and that the Russians are either uh, allowing it or behind some of it. Uh, so the idea here, if you're going to have a counter ransomware meeting, you're going to have to ultimately uh, talk about how to counter the Russians. But the officials were at pains to be diplomatic about this yesterday, suggesting, you know, look, we've got other venues in which we're in contact with the Russians and they're not just they're just not invited to this one. Uh, the, held out the possibility that they might be uh, invited to another one. Uh, also, officials pointing to this lull that we've seen uh, in ransomware attacks over the past month or so uh, and sort of raising the question of whether or not that's the result of uh, some of the agreements that the United States and Russia came to at that Geneva summit back during the summer between Biden and Putin. So uh, it may be that there's some progress being made behind the scenes with the Russians, but they're not invited to this one, Don. Eamon Javers live in Washington, D.C. with the latest there on cybersecurity. Thank you very much for that. On the heels of all of that, let's get a check on what's happening right now with stock futures. You can see we are in somewhat of a holding pattern. The Dow is implied higher by roughly 50 points. The S&P 500 by just about six and the Nasdaq 100 by just around 57 or so points. Now, these major averages are trying to avoid four straight days of, of losses at this stage. If you now check on the 10-year Treasury note yield, we got key inflation data coming out later on today. Right now ticking just about 1.57%. That's slightly lower than what we've seen over the last couple of days. So around the world, a mixed picture overnight in Asia. Hong Kong forced to suspend trading for the day due to a typhoon alert. China reporting its latest import numbers for September, rising 17.6% versus the same time a year ago to $240 billion. That's less than the 20% estimate that some economists had. China's trade surplus with the U.S. also hitting a monthly record high of $42 billion. Exports are up about 30% from the same time last year. Europe's trading day is just getting underway as well. You can see that we'll swing it around. Marginal gains there for the CAC in France. The FTSE 100 in the U.K. down about one-third of 1% in the German DAX, outpacing other parts of the major bourse market out there, up about two-thirds of 1% right now. Back on the home front, another Fed member talking about the central bank's tapering timeline. 
St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says he would support starting to scale back the Fed's bond buying as soon as next month. Bullard telling CNBC he's been pushing for an aggressive approach when the Fed starts to wind down the program in case inflation becomes a larger problem in the next year. On inflation, I think, uh, you know, the, the story that inflation will come down naturally is is a reasonable one. But I only want to put 50 percent probability on that scenario. And I've got to put some probability on a scenario where uh, inflation stays high or even goes higher uh, in the months ahead. And that's the risk I want to be in position to uh, be able to handle at the end of the taper. All right. For more, let's bring in Robert Teeter, Silvercrest Asset Management, head of investment policy and strategy. I, I mean, Robert, you heard the, the, the comments from Fed President James Bullard at St. Louis. Is this issue of inflation going to be something that these central bankers have to worry even more about in the coming months? Well, inflation has certainly been a stubborn problem. Um, we don't anticipate that it will go away in the next week or two, certainly. So it will be around for a while. Um, we do believe it's transitory ultimately. And part of that is, again, we've had this massive cycle created by COVID. It's created a lot of imbalances in supply and demand. Some of that's come from a changing mix of consumption. Some of it's come from changing labor patterns. So we think we're in problem solving mode here. I think you said holding pattern. and I agree with that. We're in a bit of a holding pattern as we work through some of these problems. Uh, as the news said earlier that, that you just reported on the shift at the Port of L.A. is one small example of how some of these problems are being solved one at a time. So I think we'll work our way through it, but it's not going to be quick. Robert, I, I wonder, though, I mean, we, we have a number of these headlines developing. This is obviously a fluid situation. Do you make changes from an investment policy or strategy standpoint because of this? I mean, I guess what I'm trying to imply is or ask, what exactly is the timeline for when these inflationary pressures due to supply chain issues start to ease? Should you be making your investment strategy decisions based upon something that might resolve itself in, say, the next few months, hypothetically speaking? That's right. It's a fantastic question. I think timing is the critical element here. Timing has been very unpredictable all throughout this COVID cycle. Uh, my base case view is that we will be in this choppy period for a while. We've had a textbook rally in terms of interest rates going up and the sectors that have been leading the way uh, the past few months. However, we've seen that reverse itself very quickly whenever problems have started to uh, retreat a bit. And so my view is that these next uh, weeks into year end are going to be choppy. They're still going to be led by the cyclical side. But I think as you get towards the end of the year, the outlook will take a little longer term horizon, a look towards 2022 earnings. And there you have to look at where the tailwinds for growth rather than just where are the problems. All right. So speaking of that earnings story, we've got a big week kicking off. The banks kind of start things off today. We got the airlines in the mix as well. What exactly are the expectations that you have versus what the consensus you feel is with this earnings season and whether or not it could be a catalyst to break this market out of this kind of sideways-ish action that we've seen for the last few weeks? Right. It's a, it's a great point. And I think, in my view, that the catalyst is more likely to come from the outlook rather than the earnings themselves. I think we've got a setup here where any kind of excuse can be offered for a miss. There's certainly been no shortage of problems or issues going on throughout the economy, whether it's you know, labor or supply chain or logistics issues. And so I think some of those easy excuses may come in if earnings are a bit light. But I'll be looking to guidance, outlook for next year, uh, not so much this quarter, but what's the outlook for all of 2022. And there, I think we'll start to see some bright spots. And as some of these problems are solved, I think valuations might actually uh, regain a bit higher ground as well. 
All right, before we let you go, just a couple of seconds here. You got a favorite sector out there, favorite industry? Well, I think for now, the, the coming weeks, it, it still remains the cyclical side. Um, but I think I wouldn't overstay the welcome there. I'd start to get a bit more balanced. I think consumer discretionary will do well next year as, as uh, employers add jobs back. And I think technology still remains uh, a heart of every portfolio as every company out there is looking to solve productivity issues. All right, Robert Teeter, thank you very much for those thoughts. We appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back on the show, more bad news for a Kathy Wood fund that's already down some 20 percent this year. Plus, Apple under pressure as it reportedly looks to scale back production of its latest iPhone models and then later on stretched to the max. What investors should expect from the likes of Delta Airlines and others. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories of the morning. First of all, SAP raising its full year outlook for a third time on the back of a strong third quarter as more customers move to its cloud operations. The company now expects cloud revenues to grow by 16 to 19 percent this year. SAP launched subscription-based cloud services back in January. Those shares up 5 percent right now in the pre-market trade. Qualcomm says its board has authorized $10 billion in new share buybacks. This adds to a buyback program announced back in July of 2018, which still has around $900 million left on that. Those shares up this morning by about 2.5%. And then shares of CRISPR Therapeutics are down sharply in the pre-market after results from its experimental CAR-T blood, CAR blood cancer therapy disappointed investors. Those shares off about 5% right now. That move could... To the downside, spell some trouble for Kathy Wood's ARC Genomic Revolution ETF and flagship ARC Fund. Now, that ETF, which has been adding positions in CRISPR and is in a, a top holder in the company, ARC G shares are already down some 22% this year. And then shares, by the way, of Apple are under pressure following a report the company will cut iPhone production due to the ongoing global computer chip shortage. According to a report from Bloomberg, Apple reportedly plans to cut production by up to 10 million phones this year. Right now, those Apple shares off about three quarters of one percent in the extended trade. They're also underperforming the overall market. Component suppliers like Broadcom and Texas Instruments also down after being named in the report as having issues meeting demand as well. You can see they're the ecosystem for Apple and iPhones. Apple down, Texas Instruments off 
fractionally and Broadcom off about one and a quarter percent in the pre-market trade as well. Well, still on deck for the show, watch out Musk and Branson. Jeff Bezos' blue origin is getting into the celebrity space race with one William Shatner. Captain Kirk. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Wednesday morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good morning to you. We start with breaking overnight after a 19-month freeze due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The U.S. is gearing up to reopen its land borders to non-essential travel. This according to a senior administration official who spoke on the condition of anonymity. According to the new rules, starting in early November, vehicle, rail, and ferry travel between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico will reopen open, but only to fully vaccinated foreign nationals. Several elected officials have confirmed the news. The House is sending the short-term debt-stealing deal to the president's desk, narrowly avoiding the threat of a first-ever U.S. default. The bill passed 219 to 206 straight along party lines, with every Republican voting no. The legislation raises the nation's borrowing limit until early December. President Biden is expected to sign the measure before October 18th. All right, it's catching on quick. Netflix has yet another huge hit show on its hands. On Tuesday, the streaming giant announced the Korean survival thriller Squid Game has become its biggest series launch ever with 111 million viewers. Bridgerton previously held the top spot. I started out, Dom, trying to binge Squid Game. It was just so intense after like the first three. So I'm like, okay, I can only handle one a day. I got two more to go. The intensity, man. I, I, I was I was speaking. I was at I was at a dinner party this past weekend where we had a substantial conversation about how the show makes you just the right amount of uncomfortable. Yep, it's 100 percent true. I needed some Ted Lasso to neutralize it after every episode. <laughs> Something, right? I will admit, Francis. I will admit, Francis. I've not started watching it yet, but I have to. I got to gear myself up. I think for the whole process. You do. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera, for that. Well, Blue Origin's New Shepherd is set for its second crude launch today at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Actor William Shatner will be on board today's voyage into space, making him the oldest person to go into space at, get this, he's 90 years old. I still can't believe it. It's another milestone in the new space race that's seeing public companies and billionaires reach for the stars rather than countries themselves. For more on the significance of this launch today, let's bring in Jim Cantrell, founder and CEO of Phantom Space. He's also a former founding member of the team over at SpaceX. Jim, thank you very much for joining us this morning. (laughs) Can you tell me whether or not Captain Kirk going to space is what you imagined way back in the day in your early days of SpaceX? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is a little bit of uh, art imitating life, isn't it? So I can tell you when I was a young kid, this is partly what inspired me was, you know, Captain Kirk and building the, in the Starship Enterprise. So I, I think I can speak for most of us that, that were early at SpaceX that, uh, you know, that, that's what uh, inspired us as well was uh, the idea of eventually building the Starship Enterprise. 
So, so okay, so we got the Starship Enterprise, you know, kind of in, in some kind of way uh, up there right now. What exactly yeah. then does this do for the overall visibility of, of the space program? We, we, we know people cover it. We know it's in the news all the time. But William Shatner, does, it, does he kind of draw in a, another part of the population that maybe hadn't been paying as close attention to what's happening with the space sure. exploration campaign? Yeah, yeah. So, so anytime you get somebody with a profile like this, I mean, this was, uh, in, you know, in a lot of ways, maybe an imaginary childhood hero of a lot of us. Uh, he's actually going to space. So it uh, makes, our, makes our dreams from when we were young a reality. But I think, as you point out, there's a lot of other people around that really aren't paying attention to what's going on in the private space. And uh, this sure draws that, that attention in because almost everybody knows about Star Trek. Okay, so where things stand right now, we talk about private space travel, which is what a lot of the attention has been focused on these days with companies like SpaceX, with Blue Origin, with Virgin Galactic. Can we talk about whether or not this kind of a move here is something that will perhaps get more government involvement? Is, is the space race then, so to speak, more, more fluid right now towards the upside on the government side of things because of all of this private attention? Well, I think in, in a lot of ways, the private activity is replacing what used to be government activity. And uh, we've seen this over the last 20 years that gradually it's become no longer something of only nation states, but the commercial companies are now doing what we used to do uh, only, only at the government level. So I think it's actually the opposite of what you might suggest. Uh, it, it's it's uh, a very uh, technologically difficult thing to put people into space. And it may not be the revenue source for commercial, but it certainly is a symbolism, uh, much like uh, putting people into space was a symbolism for the, the Cold War uh, uh, participants of the Soviet Union, the U.S. This is the early stages, of course. I mean, we know this, but the economics maybe don't matter as much right now because it's about the real kind of force behind it. How long do you think before private travel to space really does become something economically viable or something that we see more, more commonplace? Yeah, we'll see more and more of it this decade, right? So we're only a few years into the decade. And I, I believe by the end of the decade, you'll see uh, a lot of private uh, astronauts uh, coming about and uh, on SpaceX and eventually on Blue Origin. You know, Blue Origin's really well behind SpaceX in this area. Uh, but it isn't, it isn't where, really where all the money is. The, the real story is behind the scenes where the, uh, the unmanned uh, stuff and the satellites that are going up are really providing a huge new economy that's almost a trillion dollars a year. All right. And before we let you go, Jim, one last question. Kirk or Picard? <laughs> Kirk. <laughs> Jim Cantrell, Phantom Space. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. A pleasure. Ahead on the show, besting China in the Bitcoin mining race. New details on which country is number one. It's America, by the way. Plus, major airlines take on Texas Governor Greg Abbott over his executive order against companies mandating COVID vaccines. We'll be right back. Big show ahead. Stocks in a holding pattern as investors gear up for the kickoff to earnings season and the latest read on inflation. Delta among those out with results before the opening bell as competitor Southwest Airlines continues to navigate turbulence surrounding its ongoing cancellation crisis. 
And ARK Invest Kathy Wood out with a warning for China over the ramifications of its ongoing private sector crackdown. It's Wednesday, hump day, October 13th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how stock futures are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. As you can see right now, the Dow is implied higher by roughly 59 points. The S&P higher by just about eight and the Nasdaq higher by around 66. So calmer markets right now as we try to snap a multi-day losing streak for some of the indices here in the U.S. Now to more of your morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again, Dom. Dom, so Nike is facing a $20 million lawsuit over allegations of abuse. Distance runner Mary Kane is also naming her former coach Alberto Salazar as part of the lawsuit, accusing him of emotional abuse after joining the Nike Oregon Project in 2012. She also says the apparel giant knew about the issue and failed to intervene. Kane's allegations against Salazar were raised in late 2019 when she appeared in a New York Times op-ed. Nike at the time described the claims as deeply troubling and announced it was scrapping the Oregon training program after Salazar was banned from running by the U.S. anti-doping agency for trafficking banned substances. ARK Invest Kathy Wood says China's ongoing crackdowns on a number of top industries would lead to an economic downturn in that country. Speaking yesterday, Wood stressed that downturn could have broader ramifications. I think we might be looking back at this period in six months and say, gosh, wasn't it obvious that there was going to be a major slowdown in China, major and unexpected slowdown in China, which uh, should have a big impact on commodities generally. Boeing is ordering all U.S.-based employees to show proof they've received a COVID vaccine by December 8th. The aircraft manufacturer, which makes both commercial and military planes, is the latest federal contractor to implement rules from the Biden administration. Boeing says it will allow approved religious or medical exemption for workers on the matter. American Airlines and Southwest also announcing they will comply with the White House's mandate on employee vaccinations, despite a ban on the matter in their home state. The move by the two Texas-based operators defies Governor Greg Abbott's ban on vaccine mandates by any business. Both carriers have asked U.S.-based employees to submit proof of vaccination by November 24th. Dom? Thank you very much for those headlines. Let's stick with the airlines. Delta is set to report third quarter results before the bell today. The first of the group to report, investors will be looking for continuing signs of recovery in the travel industry as Delta's management has indicated they will be one of the few profitable airlines during the last quarter. For more on those numbers and the broader sector overall, we are joined by Helene Becker. You know her. She's the senior research analyst for transportation over at Cowan, all things airlines and so much more. Helene, good morning. Thank you very much. Let's talk about whether or not these results in the coming days will show that the airline industry continues to heal. Yes. Um, Good morning, and thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, We think so. We think Delta, as you noted, will be one of the few profitable airlines. American yesterday, you might have seen, raised their guidance for the quarter and also talked about a fourth quarter that would be strong. Um, I think our view is that we're going to have some really good 
um, weeks in the fourth quarter, not necessarily an entire quarter of strength because business traffic just isn't back and international isn't reopening um, maybe until next month. The Biden administration said November, but didn't give a specific date. So we are seeing, we did see actually a V-shaped um, booking curve when the Biden administration said international citizens could now travel into the U.S. So we, we think that, yes, we are on the mend. On the mend is one thing, though. But a lot of these stocks have already seen sharp recovery since the pandemic lows. They've pulled back in the last couple of months. The COVID Delta variant may be part of that whole thesis and that story there. Is it safe to say, though, that going into next year, the travel outlook does become better or are there still too many clouds on the horizon given COVID and the Delta variant? Yeah, I, I think I think things start to get better. I think as the variant starts to dissipate around the country, um, I've, I've heard Dr. Gottlieb speak on this program talking about um, this becoming an endemic virus as opposed to a pandemic. I think we're just going to have to get used to having this virus with us or some kind of virus with us. We have the flu every year, so I guess this will be there all the time. Um, so our view is that as people get used to it and figure out how to deal with it, whether we have booster shots or not, um, I guess that's a, a big debate as well. We do think people will start to get back to the office. We think people will start to get back to traveling. We're already seeing that. We see 2 million people a day generally traveling, which is pretty close to a, a kind of a Tuesday, Wednesday, what we would have seen pre-pandemic in January. So I think as we think about 2022, we're going to have a pretty strong summer month, summer months across the Atlantic. We think near international will continue to be strong, domestic as well. Business probably comes back and by the summer within 80% of where it was pre-pandemic. So we think by 2023, certainly, We'll be back to whatever our next normal is going to be. Elaine, we've been showing viewers out there and, and listeners on SiriusXM. What, we, what we've been showing is a lot of the charts of these airline companies, both domestically and perhaps more internationally focused. Given the setups that we've seen in the market right now, Helene, is it better or, or, or more advantageous to pivot your investments towards the domestic focused carriers in the U.S. or ones that have more leverage to international and especially business travel? Yes, exactly. So we were thinking domestic travel focused airlines like um, Allegiant has been a, a big idea of ours this year. Alaska Air has been a big idea, Spirit as well. Um, so we were thinking that for 2021. And then as we pivot into 2022, to your point, with international coming back, United is the most leveraged to um to international travel with half their route network international. They have more wide bodies now at this point than any of the other two, either of the other two international focused airlines. Um, they also have more exposure to business travel. So yes, we would definitely start to think about pivoting to those focused on those two airlines. And of course, that would mean United American and Delta. All right. Elaine Becker, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. And don't miss Delta CEO Ed Bastian coming up in an exclusive interview today on Squawk Box, 730 a.m. Eastern time. You'll want to hear what he has to say about the state of travel and, of course, what's going to happen with the campaign for covid vaccination as well. Well, China's continued crackdown on Bitcoin and other crypto assets is proving to be a boon for U.S. Bitcoin miners. 
New data confirming the USA is now the top destination for Bitcoin miners, surpassing China for the first time. CNBC's Mackenzie Sagalos joins us now with more on those numbers. And we can say right now that the U.S. is winning the battle here. Can it continue to win the war? Yeah, so the numbers here are pretty staggering, Dom. The U.S. is firmly in the lead. It now counts for about one-third of all of the world's Bitcoin miners. That's up 428% from September of 2020. And while we already knew that the U.S. was becoming more and more of a hotspot for miners, this new data from Cambridge University confirms that the U.S. is number one in terms of its share of the Bitcoin mining market. Meanwhile, China, which was once the epicenter of this industry, has seen its share fall from 67% to zero in less than a year. And this is, of course, because Beijing made this big push to entirely shut down its domestic crypto market. And since then, we've seen this mass migration of Chinese miners heading to places like the United States, also to neighboring Kazakhstan. The bottom line, miners are looking for cheap electricity. They compete in a low margin industry where their only variable cost is typically energy. And that's a big part of why the U.S. has come out on top. Dom? So, Mackenzie, what does this then mean for this whole debate around Bitcoin's carbon footprint? We, we, we heard Elon Musk months ago say that they were kind of taking a step away from Bitcoin because of the possible carbon footprint ramifications here. Is it a good thing that all these miners are actually headed here towards the American shores? It's a great question. So China was known for its hydropower, which was a good thing, uh, but also for its coal plants. And so as we've seen this migration of Bitcoin miners heading to the U.S., it's actually begun to recast the narrative among skeptics that Bitcoin is bad for the environment. Because in the U.S., we see many of these Bitcoin mining farms latching on to renewable power sources. So there is this industry-wide shift toward zero emission, clean energy. All right. And for more McKenzie's story there on China versus the U.S. and Bitcoin, go to CNBC.com right now. McKenzie, thank you very much for that. Coming up on the show, leaders from across the energy sector coming together amid a global crisis taking shape for that sector. We are going to talk with the former Saudi Aramco executive Sadat al-Husseini about what it will take to combat the rise in prices. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top stories this morning... An investment group led by KKR is reportedly close to a deal for the rights to a song catalog, including hits from artists like Lord and The Weeknd. According to the Financial Times, the potentially $1.1 billion deal with music company Cobalt would be the latest in a recent wave of private equity buying up music catalogs. Billionaire Jack Ma has reportedly resurfaced after keeping a very low profile amid China's ongoing regulatory crackdowns. Reuters reporting the Alibaba founder is currently in Hong Kong and has met with business associates in just the recent days here. And then some sad news this morning with the passing of Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner. The toy maker announcing Goldner's death just two days after he stepped down to take a medical leave. Goldner disclosed last year that he has been receiving treatment for prostate cancer since 2014. Brian Goldner, dead at 58. Our condolences to his family, friends and colleagues. We will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The global energy crisis continues to be front and center for investors and consumers 
as crude oil prices in the U.S. hover near their highest level in around seven years. Now, in Europe, the crisis is even more dire as natural gas prices trade well above historic norms. In some places, spot prices are up more than, get this, 500 percent from those normal levels. With that, the region's top energy supplier, Russia, using the crisis to push its own agenda and flex its muscles when it comes to inking long-term supply deals with key European customers. Joining me now is Husseini Energy owner and founder Sadat Al-Husseini. He's also a former executive vice president for Upstream Operations at Saudi Aramco. Upstream, that means mining for it, getting it out of the ground. Uh, Mr. Husseini, let's talk about whether or not these oil prices are going to get any relief soon. Can we get more oil out of the ground? Well, good morning, Damien. I think we're pretty much topped out everywhere except in OPEC. Uh, OPEC, we still have maybe two and a half, three million barrels of spare capacity. So, so that could come in. But the problem isn't oil. The problem are refined products. Uh, you need the heating oil. You need gasoline. You need diesel. And those got to go through refineries. That takes a while. And then they got to go into inventory. And the inventories in the U.S. are extremely low. Uh, Europe has been very low as well. Europe has a double problem because they're also very low on gas inventories. They didn't build up their stocks uh, over the last uh, year or so. So it, it's, uh, it's going to stay pretty high for a while, I'm, I'm afraid. Uh, around this uh, $80 to $85 for Brent, uh, it's very probable for the rest of the year. Hopefully not higher. So, Sadad, I mean, we're showing charts right now of ice Brent crude futures, WTI futures here as well. The move that we've seen higher in the last couple of months has been very dramatic. I, I am a gasoline consumer. I fill up about maybe two times a week as a commuter. I have not seen gasoline prices. Yes, they've risen, but they've not risen quite as fast as crude oil prices have. Why the disconnect there here in the U.S.? Well, the first thing that happens is you draw down inventories of crude oil and you run it through the refineries. Uh, but then as you start running short on oil, then you have to import. And the, so far, OPEC has tried to keep uh, prices fairly moderate. I mean, of course, they have come up, but they've come up from a very, very low uh, trough, uh, which is what happened with the COVID. Uh, at 75 to $80, that is a normal price range. Uh, I guess in Houston, you're probably doing $249, $250 a gallon, uh, but you should see Europe. Europe is running $7 a gallon. So it's not the same thing everywhere. They suffer more because they don't have any domestic production. Uh, they haven't built inventories. They depended a great deal on gas for power, but now they're having to use fuel oil. So uh, it's different in different parts of the world. But I think the U.S., uh, if the oil drilling picks up, which it should, uh, with higher prices, it should be leveling off where it is. Is there a concern right now? We, we, we've heard a number of narratives and storylines over the last few months with regard to whether or not there is an, enough investment in trying to get the oil and gas sector out there to, 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 to extract oil from the ground. Do, do you feel as though there will be enough capital expenditures kind of put out there to where the oil market will be more balanced in the coming months and years? And how long will that take? 
Well, this is a uh, the fundamental question. Uh, oil is a long-term investment. You have to put the money in today to reap the benefits in three or four years. Of course, shale oil is what we call short cycle. But in, in the U.S., shale oil has suffered not just from money, but also from services. The oil services have been pretty much decimated. So even if you start investing now in the U.S., uh, it's going to take a while to get production back up. The onshore oil rigs in the U.S. dropped down from about 1,200 rigs a month to currently around 500. That's a pretty big recovery that's going to be called for. Elsewhere in the world, uh, yeah, the oil is very expensive outside the U.S. Uh, the projects are long-term projects. The estimate that was made by the International Energy uh, Administration is something like $500 billion a year of investments required. We're running around 350. So uh, there's a lot of catching up. But then how do you attract capital? Capital is looking for a much uh, simpler, easier investment, uh, high tech, uh, things that uh, they can see and touch in the market. Uh, oil is, is just not in favor right now. All right. And before we let you go, just a few moments left here, Sadad. As we talk about oil and energy prices, what is it about the outlook for alternative energy that maybe has you either skeptical or excited? Well, what worries me a lot about the alternative energy isn't the generation, which is wonderful, solar and wind turbines and uh, even generating clean hydrogen. Uh, And it's not the distribution. That's a matter of funding. It's a technology of storage. You have to store uh, huge volumes of energy for uh, utility-scale use in cities and factories and power plants. And that technology has just not happened. So you have a big hole in the process between the generation and the distribution, which is storage. And this is Europe's problem right now. They haven't been able to store enough energy to take them through this uh, gap in supply, which they're going through now. That is going to take a long time to develop at that scale, not at the small house and car scale, but at the utility citywide scale. Absolutely. It's a, it's a big trend to watch. It's why a lot of focus has been on those battery makers and fuel cell makers. Sadat Al-Husseini, thank you very much for your time. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. On deck thank for you. the show, a big day taking shape for stocks as earnings season kicks off as we get fresh inflation data as well. Barron's top-rated wealth advisor, Greg Sarian, is standing by with what you need to know and watch for. And as a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. It's on all major podcast apps. Keep it right here on Worldwide Exchange. It's also Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we are spotlighting business leaders as well as our own anchors and reporters and contributors and producers. Here is Outreach CEO, Manny Badina. Reach out to other people who are doing really, really well and ask them for advice. And be ready to be rejected. Deal well with that rejection because a rejection doesn't mean no. It just means not now. And it always means that you can do this later. But this ability to build your network and rely on other people and learn from each other and grow your network and bring other Latinos into it will eventually make you a better leader and will make you more successful. Welcome back. That's a live shot of Washington, D.C., where we have a possible agreement in place to raise the debt ceiling that's going to President Biden's desk, hopefully shortly here that gets us to December. Now let's turn back to the markets and your money futures in a holding pattern as we await the kickoff to bank earnings and then later on a read on inflation. 
For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Greg Sarian, the CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners over at Hightower. So let's, Greg, talk about whether or not this is a good situation for investors right now. This earnings season, does it bode well for this bull run to continue? Well, good morning, Dom. First of all, thank you for having me back. And uh, I think investors really need to be a bit more cautious heading into earnings season and the end of the year, Dom, between the Fed tapering and likely leading to tightening into the next year, between all the inflation concerns that your prior guest just mentioned with gas, wage prices, and then, of course, the looming tax changes. Uh, we've sort of been focused on this debt ceiling debate over the last two weeks, but but for sure, tax reform is, is going to be front and center. So I think there are reasons for investors to be cautious heading into the end of the year. There are there have been reasons for investors to be cautious for the better part of five years now. Yet the market kept going higher, with the exception maybe of that big drop tied to the pandemic. Why do you feel a little bit more cautious this time around versus all the other instances over the last several years? Sure. And I think this term stagflation has been mentioned over and over again, though, Don. But if you look at what balanced accounts have done the last five years, you've seen equity-like returns, pure equity-like returns in balanced accounts. And so what we're suggesting is in a period of potentially rising inflation, persistent inflation, higher tax rates, both at the individual and corporate level, that at some point are going to have compression on corporate earnings, we feel that's going to put pressure on markets. So to be clear, not suggesting a bear market is looming or a recession is around the corner, but I think investors need to brace themselves for normal rates of return. May I suggest more muted rates of return in the next five years than we've seen the last five years. All right, then how do you position, Greg? What's the strategy right now? Do you, do you, do you start to raise cash for the anticipation of a, a, a pullback? If so, where does that money go? What's on the shopping list? Really great question, Don. So I think the first thing investors need to look at is their tax situation. Because if an investor was going to, to your point, consider raising cash for living expenses next year, diversify a concentrated stock position, or pull the trigger on stock options, we're suggesting do that now. We know capital gains are 20%. We know the ordinary income rate is 37. Pull, pull on the income you can from 22 into 21. Realize those gains now. Raise cash. I think investors, Tom, also need to pay attention to, and this isn't being discussed enough in our view, with the 10-year approaching 2%, review your bond allocation. We think bond funds could have a challenging environment if these yields continue to rise. So for investors who are in a higher tax bracket, with that core fixed portion of their portfolio on the bond side, high-quality laddered muni bonds make a ton of sense here, given their permanence, definition, and stability. So reviewing the equity and the fixed income side. On the equity side, certainly rebalance back to your target. We've all been spoiled with these growth returns, and maybe the equity portion of your portfolio is disproportionately large. Now's a good time to rethink your views towards risk, your expectations for returns, and rebalance back to target. All right, Greg, we just got a few moments left here. Does technology still remain attractive to you, or, or are you more in that value cyclical oil, energy, industrials type camp? Yeah, we're, we're in an economy where innovation and disruption is going to continue to be rewarded. So while technology may be pressured in the near term, given the rise in rates and the headwinds the markets face, it certainly represents a core portion of any portfolio. But we like dividend paying stocks, dividend growing stocks sure. in this near term environment. All right. Dividend paying stocks. The call there from Greg Sarian. Thank you very much. Have a good day. 
That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. We got key inflation data and bank earnings. Keep it right here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.